This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 163, about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 7, on and on. Welcome back, fellow defenders. We're on episode seven of season two of Luke Cage. That's halfway through the season. It's over halfway through the season. Welcome back. Really looking forward to talk to you about this episode. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I am one of your hosts, John. And I am rounding out the group. I'm Chris. And hopefully by the end of this episode, we'll know whether England have gotten through in the World Cup. Because being the podcasters that we are, we obviously are avoiding sports. So... Uh, <laughs> yes, so we really have no sports idea. Sports is very low down on the list. It, it won true football, and that is American football. <laughs> Much lower down the list. Go Saints! That is true. Go Ravens. We are all American footballs fans. Go Ravens. Go Carolina Panthers. Where my culture's from? Well, Carolina originally. So I claim that for Luke Cage, it's the Carolina Panthers is our football team. But gentlemen, we saw a lot of interesting things in this episode, did we not? Yes, we did. Yes, piranhas feeding on piranha. Is it cannibalistic? I don't know. It's full circle. Definitely. Mother Nature really showing off. Well, that or Bushmaster showing off, I think, is pretty close (laughs) to what's happening. But obviously, this is our spoiler-filled discussion of the episodes. We're not going to spoil anything more until we get past the next section of uh, of the podcast. But make sure you've watched episode seven and all the episodes beforehand before you listen to this podcast, of course. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, please make sure you subscribe over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you're an Apple device user. And you can now subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, which was released in the last couple of weeks. Weeks uh, should have all of our episodes up there at the moment. So, an option for Android users and for Apple users. Pretty good, right? The choice is endless. This episode is brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium and Wolverine the Long Night, but we'll tell you more about that later. Mm-hmm. Let's get into our discussion of episode seven on and on. This episode was written by Nicole Morante Matthews. She has written episodes of NCIS and Law and Order and has a second episode of Luke Cage coming up this season with episode 11 uh, coming up about four episodes away, if my maths serves me correctly there. It does. You wizard. <laughs> it's impressive, isn't it? And this episode was directed by Rashad Ernesto Green. Uh, Rashad's had loads of TV credits, including Supernatural and Grimm. Uh, this is his first Marvel credit, though, so hopefully we'll see him back in future. Uh, lots of kind of uh, big moments in those shows, a little bit more Supernatural. But maybe this, the opening of this episode might be a little bit supernatural. We'll, we'll see how we get into it. I've just had a little fanboy wee, I think, there with supernatural. This will be good stuff, I reckon. Good stuff. <laughs> well, we've seen the episode. Hopefully you liked it. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of the episode? Sure. A bruised Luke Cage manages to escape his watery end, but still reeling from the showdown on the bridge with Bushmaster, finds that Piranha has gone missing from his father's church. Luke teams up with Misty to find Piranha, only to find a gruesome scene with Piranha decapitated and his head left in a piranha-infested fish tank. He had been captured by Bushmaster, who used him to strip Mariah Dillard of all her money and assets. Elsewhere, the hunt for the snitch heats up after Mariah realises that Captain Ridenour has an informant. 
As Comanche and Ridenour meet, they are confronted by Shades, who regretfully removes the police informant from the board. Despite this victory for Mariah, she flees the club with Tilda after Bushmaster reveals his endgame. As he corners Mariah and her daughter in her house, he leaves it burning with them in it as revenge for the Stokes family burning his mother alive. As he claims Harlem's paradise, an unexpected saviour arrives to rescue Mariah and Tilda from the ashes. Good one, John. Let's start at the beginning where all good things start, because we got probably the biggest cliffhanger of the season so far, uh, back at the end of episode six, where Luke is treated to some dust in the face, which paralysed him and then kicked into the river. Um, I guess that's the Hudson River, right? Running through New York? Maybe. It looked very small for the Hudson River. (laughs) Maybe there's a river that runs through Harlem. It's probably a tributary. Hudson's massive. It is. It is. Uh, So probably not the Hudson River then. That's how little we know not living in New York. (laughs) But yeah, this is quite odd, I suppose. Um, It is kind of what we thought was going to happen with Luke getting out of this. We thought either somebody was going to save him or that potentially this would just wear off and he'd be able to get out of uh, of the river. Um, But it's quite difficult to tell exactly what happens. It's not very clear if someone had gone in to save him in the river obviously very clear how he gets out of it but this just seems to be a lot of flashbacks are coming into his mind as he's dying or drowning i guess that's what this usually represents he's flashing back to his mother and father visiting him in prison flashing back to his luke cage costume which i thought was hilarious and awesome Um, and that inspires him to get out of the river what do you think is happening here i I think they were trying to go for some form of kind of divine intervention Mm-hmm. Yeah, as he kind of says, "Oh, I felt like Mum was trying to speak to me." I think that's what they were trying to go for, which is kind of we know that Bushmaster is somewhat mystical, so they want to add an element of mysticism to Luke Cage and that. But it just came across that he had like a near death experience; it flashed before his eyes, and then he copped on and got out. Um, not saying, like as you said, like mm-hmm. seeing him in the tiara was. Great. Seeing that scene explained where he's behind the plexiglass with his mother and his father and then getting it further explained later on, mm. that worked. That, that like in, from a cinematography point of view. Yeah. Yeah. There there was no fear that he would potentially nearly drown or something like that. We we knew he'd get out, so there was no yeah, crisis point to it. Like no one like I I would have preferred having seen a misty or someone from the the hero app dive in and pull and like people rally around Luke Cage to pull him out of the river Mm. and then that kind of emboldens him further but what we get is he saves himself and then has a crisis of conscience and that then leads to the heart to heart with his father yeah yeah I really like the flashbacks in that they tied back to that heart-to-heart with his father. Yet, to me, it looked very much like his life flashing before his eyes. That Mm -hmm. kind of sent the adrenaline pumping, and it kind of, in some way, counteracted uh, whatever Bushmaster had blown into his face. I really wish there had been the Samwise Gamgee moment, to be honest. I think, Chris, actually, you, you hit it right on the head there there has been mention of this app so it didn't need to be a misty it could have been someone who had clocked him and so on um i really would have preferred that moment to him suddenly and seemingly just waking up and again we have the bad guy where he's just kind of upped and walked off 
the bridge without making sure that his kick to Luke um, and him potentially drowning has actually worked. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it was just one of those things where it really did feel like a lot of other things that have happened in other shows bad guy doesn't fo uh, follow through fully on, on what he's just done. Therefore, uh, the main protagonist escapes from his fate. And yeah, I would have liked to have seen a member of one of Luke's public in Harlem save him from the water by the use of the app. Yeah, yeah, um, essentially that's a pretty good one. Or again, something else like learning that this is another power of Luke's, that he doesn't drown, that he could just walk along the bottom and get himself out of there or something like that. It didn't feel like this was anything to do with his powers. It did feel like he was waking up because of this moment of his life flashing before his eyes, uh, which, you know, again, liked the flashing before his eyes. But yeah, this just remained a little bit unclear, but does drive him to have the heart, the heart of his father, at least. Yeah, I, I really liked mm -hmm. the cinematography. Like, they did film it underwater. They they could have gone the cheesy route, but it did. He was, my Coulter being my Coulter, he's expressive. It looked beautiful. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing, as we said, is just, it, it, it was hazy and unclear in terms of what happened. Mm -hmm. um, I did, kind of taking it on from the river scene to the later where he, he as you said, drives the, the heart to heart with his father. I'm really glad that happened but it feels unfinished oh absolutely yeah the conversation is unfinished in terms of um they obviously have to have continued the heart to heart because his dad does call out to him before he, luke ro runs off which we'll discuss later but i don't know whether it was the shots in terms of how they cut from luke to his father and back again that part of the conversation seemed unfinished if you know what i mean i must admit, I think I said it directly after watching the episode, I thought this was my least favorite put together scene so far in the show because most of this heart to heart is a conversation that's happening at the same time as the moment that you're having Bushmaster talking to Mariah. And it feels like they're trying to make some kind of parallel there between those two conversations, but there's no parallel. It's two huge conversations that need to happen and also need to be separate scenes. But I think the only reason they're doing it is so that when D-Dubs comes in at the end of the conversation that Luke's having with his dad, he still has time to save Mariah because the conversation's happening at the same time. But it just doesn't feel right having those two really important conversations happening at the same time. Yes, thank you. That's put the finger on it. I know they like to box end some of these nice big tempo moments with the music uh, and the songs. But I feel you're right. Those conversations should have been separated out and not bookended with the music and the songs in the background. Mm -hmm, yeah. Because it did take away to a degree. Definitely. It was, it was two different things. It was, you know, I think finding more out about Luke and his dad's relationship, why he was annoyed, why he effectively abandoned Luke, I think was really, really interesting. But it didn't sit with the revenge tale that was being told by Bushmaster. And ultimately, at that moment in time, for me, I was a lot more engaged with the revenge story of Bushmaster yeah. to the Stokes family um, compared to actually uh, a huge storyline for Luke that I should have been engaged with more so. And I think I would have been uh, if as you say, some kind of strange parallel wasn't trying to be forced. I don't think they were trying to do that, but mm. ultimately you ended off wondering why um, 
they were intercrossing between these two different tales. And ultimately, one was always going to be uh, the loser in that, I think. I don't think it necessarily held up because there were two very different reasons for this. You know, the pure rage and vengeance of Bushmaster Mm -hmm. compared to almost the first time that Luke and his father have sat down and talked civilly to one another where they were listening to one another's conversation. So it it was two very different conversations Mm -hmm. and um, I don't think they really should have been intercut. It's interesting because, as you say, John, there is some big revelations here from what's going on. I find it interesting. We talked about before that I had said, and I think I talked about it in feedback uh, in a previous episode as well, I had said that I didn't believe his father as he has a bit of a mask on and he seems to just want Luke to forget without going into the details of what it is that Luke's supposed to forgive him about. What we find out here is that Luke's pissed off with his dad because his dad never believed he was innocent. And his dad tells him, well, that wasn't actually it. He blamed Luke for his mother getting cancer and now he's sorry for that. It's kind of how do you connect these two characters together and how do you make them forgive each other when neither of them actually know what they're angry about with the other person about until they sit down and have this conversation they don't really realize that well luke never wanted to speak to his dad again because he never stood behind him even though he's his own father and he was telling him i'm innocent but that's not why james was annoyed with him so uh, so it's good to have that moment out there it definitely cleared the air i always get worried when you have a heart-to-heart conversation between two characters and it is unfinished and one runs out with the other one calling after him going come back because i feel that put somebody on the board for not being able to finish that conversation in the future. Yeah, exactly. In terms of that as why the father was angry, I don't like it. They're trying to do two things with his father's character. They're trying to make him out to be this horrible person in that what he did to Luke, mm. you're the reason your mother got cancer. But then also they're trying to make him vulnerable. He's the one reaching out. He's a preacher. There's a dichotomy there that just doesn't sink and doesn't fit for me and I'm hoping with some additional revelations later on be it from Claire to Luke's father or between Luke and his father we'll get something better mm-hmm. uh, a more robust rationale yeah I do also really hope that he goes Luke I am your father. <laughs> I just want that one line, and then we'll all kind of giggle and laugh, and it will be fine, because it's the perfect setup. I am sure he actually said that in episode one, and we didn't catch it. He said, I am your father, you must respect me, didn't he? Yeah. So he has also he has already said that line, and we missed it. Damn it, where's our Star Wars radar going on? <laughs> I know. But, well, the other thing is, like, Darth Vader never actually said... Luke, I am your father. It's another one of those misheard lines uh, that people quote so often. (laughs) But moving from one Sith Lord with a full metallic body and android parts to Missy Knight with her robotic arm. Uh, Gentlemen, bullet point number two. Yes. Missy is a private citizen. This answers our questions from last episode. I love how this happens sometimes when we ask questions and they get answered almost immediately with the next episode. So uh, very happy we kind of held off on our decision as to what had happened in that scene because it's made plain here misty has left the police force um, and we have captain radar coming down and visiting her yeah trying to encourage her back onto the force uh kind of hinting that you know he is after mariah yes there's a history there yes what she saw in that interview room behind the the private screen was that 
Ridnour has history with Mariah, but back in his youth almost. Mm. Um, and, and things have changed a lot. And he is as committed as Misty is to taking down Mariah, but she, she says no, like she's made a decision and she says, I'm happy with that. Uh, as she's, trying to um throw a few hoops great to see misty back on the uh, on the basketball court yeah. this is one of the fundamental things that we saw in her character that she's always been a great basketball player so great to see her using this as her first real test of her arm and she does make a proper swish at the end of that uh, that conversation with captain ridden so she's getting better with that arm too yeah I, I i was hoping that maybe that would be towards the end of the episode or the the season where we find that's her redeeming factor but I was like, all right, well, look, she's made a decision, so that's her yes. piece. But it was really good. The The conversation we get with Rittenauer is mm-hmm. interesting. More because what we find out later in the episode when he speaks to Mariah and then to Comanche at a later point. But I did like his candor with Missy. I think that's what I'm liking and I'm, I'm finding as throughout the season, which her character, if you ask her to do something... She she kind of gets your back up, but when you order her and it's on the right side of things, she does do okay. it. Luke doesn't ask her to do things. He he kind of goes, "We're going to do this," similar to the psychic joke right. yeah. later on. We're gonna go to this place. We're gonna take this, do this, and finish okay. it. Even though now she's a private citizen, she responds to a captain, the captain role. Right. I should say, not her captain, the captain role. Except when it goes against these core beliefs that she has. And him throwing it back in her face later on really annoyed me. Which is, you were the one going to plant evidence. It annoyed me because that's exactly what I said. Like, two episodes ago. (laughs) This doesn't fit with her. Why? And he calls it out going, you can't talk about this stuff. You nearly planted evidence. Yeah, because there's even that point that I don't think he's actually asking her to come back to the police force. I think he's kind of accepted her decision, but he's saying... You may not be working for the police force, but you're the only one with a connection to Luke. And he has Piranha, which is the keys to everything. I need your help. I don't know whether he's actually offering the badge and gun back to her or whether he's saying, I need you to help me in this situation only. And then you can walk away, which is one of those one final mission. And I promise you can go. And she's kind of going, no, no, I've made my decision now. I'm I've walked away, you know? Yeah. I really like the team up between Misty and Luke, though, uh, for sure, where they go down to try and locate Piranha. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the fight that they have uh, at the beginning where, you know, Luke looks pretty impressed with um, with what moves Misty can shake, really, on yeah. the fight floor. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. You know, there's a nice kind of bit of pride almost from him when he sees how much with this new arm she's, she's really... Um, sticking it to to the jamaicans that are coming at them yeah so, it's kind of reminded me of the scene with colleen in the bar where it's kind of he'll sit back and watch her fight because he's kind of going wow she's really good you know um and he might step in if she needs help but he's not gonna jump all over her fight and protect her yeah but um then they do find piranha and uh yeah, yeah. decapitated like we we saw a little scene earlier where effectively we see bushmaster saying give us the passwords to to the accounts that you have power of attorney over um and i have to say i still thought that he was going to be alive mm-hmm. i am going to miss piranha uh, a bit like i think uh, on the feedback last week it's yeah, he's a douchebag, but he's kind of a lovable douchebag. Yeah. Um, really like some of the, 
the, the scenes with him and Luke previously. So I feel it's a little shame that he's gone, actually. But not only that, I think in terms of what Bushmaster got him to do, which was effectively clear the accounts for, for Mariah Dillard, mm-hmm. is that I don't think you then go and kill him. Because what you've got is someone who is power of attorney who's just been killed. Yeah, I, I know what like, you mean. So it felt a little unbelievable that he was going to kill him because all of a sudden that money, maybe there's something suspicious around it. And of course there is because the person, the accounts it's gone to has just killed him. So I didn't think he was going to kill him at all. I was really surprised to see Piranha's head swimming around with little tiny piranhas uh, with it being nibbled on because I didn't think that was smart of Bushmaster at all. And the guy has been fairly cool, calm and collected up till now. Mm. I know what you mean. It feels like the Yardies are criticizing him for choosing the name Piranha and working out of an office. It feels like he's chosen a gang name, but he actually works in the upper class society of Wall Street. So they're going to punish him for that. Unlike the other beheadings that we've seen throughout the season so far, they're beheadings and that's it. And then they're put on spikes to punish Mariah. This was specifically, you called yourself Piranha, therefore you're going to die by that name. You know, see what real piranhas can do to your head. It it felt almost like a serial killer type of way of killing someone. Um, And it feels a bit more reactionary than we've seen from, from the characters before. So I know what you mean. It does seem like a very odd decision. And as you say, even weirder, he dies on the day that $356 million is transferred from Mariah's account at his request to someone else's account. So yeah, that should easily be able to get reversed by your bank. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get the heat down on you from the police, the feds, or any of that, you probably don't kill the guy that's got power of attorney. You Mm. probably just hold him hostage. It's just a little gripe I had. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Do we think Riddenhauer has processed Misty's... P45. Yeah, pretty much. Her P45. Her her (laughs) dismissal. Um, I don't know whether that matters at the moment. Misty has told... Captain Riddenhauer that she no longer wants to be a police officer. Uh, that may change in a future episode. I think it's changed by the end of this episode. Maybe. I think what happens, which we'll discuss later on, to Riddenhauer, I think that changes potentially could change her mind. I think that gives her renewed cause, if you will. I'm wondering, is she actually gone from the force? Mm. Like, when you're an ex-cop, can you just suddenly go back to being a cop. I'm assuming not. So like if I quit my job, bummed around for a few days, and then my boss was fired and I want to I, I just I want to go back. But then I'm like, well you can't, you you quit. Because mm-hmm. there's process paperwork, blah blah blah. Can she just waltz back in? Because it kinda looks like later on she does just that. So I'm wondering is this private citizen piece for Misty a temporary piece? Mm, I think we just have to see. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, she could be. It seemed pretty definitive that she wanted to be off the force, hand in her badge. Um, and to be honest, I think with the team up with Luke, it, it's like she's going that way. I think you're right. Probably, um, with the Ridnauer, uh, effects happening at the by the end she may feel she wants to be back but i think we just have to see yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, let's right. have a move on to point number three, because Rittenhouse has another quite big moment in this episode, other than talking to Misty about getting access to Piranha through Luke Cage. He does have another quite big moment in here that is still playing into our big theory. Bullet point number three. Who is Tilda really? Um, we have quite an interesting moment here when Captain Rittenauer goes to talk to Mariah and tells her to come clean and turn on shades. And then he starts to kind of use another couple of interesting comments that he makes. Um, he gets thrown out by Mariah when trying to use her daughter Tilda against her, yeah. almost. He says, kind of suggests that her former husband isn't the real father. So suggesting again, she's not a Dillard. She's definitely a Stokes because we know that's her mother. Um, or she's a Riddenauer. Or she's a Riddenauer, potentially. Is Captain Riddenauer the father? Now, I'm not sure about that. That's exactly what the scene played out to me, that he's the father. Yeah. But now that he's dead, I'm not sure whether that really has any huge impact. It may in the future, it possibly. But I think that's the way it was playing out. And then he made the weirdest comment for me, because I speculated about a character like this early on in the season. He makes the comment, does she even know how old she really is? And suddenly I was going into weird places again, like I did with Bushmaster, as to whether he's 100 years old and has just been kept young. Uh, is she a really old character that's been kept young somehow and ha hasn't got the memories of how old she really is? They need to stop messing with me on this, or I need to stop thinking <laughs> about ancients being in Luke Cage. Yeah, it was a weird thing to say. It could just be simply that Oops. she's older but not you know five years or something or five years younger or yeah. something like that. Um, but certainly, yeah, with everything going on, you're kind of like going, "Ooh, is this like Mama Mabel uh, reincarnated or something? <laughs> the clone of Mama Mabel, has yeah, come or back. something like that." Yeah. I wonder with Ridnour, Mariah certainly, you know, she has feelings for him. Mm -hmm. You can see that, but she knows that they have uh, diverged in their paths. Yeah, and I wonder if again. The death of Ridenauer, possibly the death of her daughter's father, and at the hands of Shades, given that we've got Shades being lined up previously by Comanche to say, why don't you take the crown? He, I think, is looking to be that king. That's been building as well. He ought to make a move to really stamp his authority on something. And maybe some kind of fissure uh, takes place between mariah and shades oh, yeah. because of the fact that he has taken out rinnauer at least by association by mm -hmm. being that i know it was comanche but he didn't stop comanche mm -hmm. i wonder if there's something in that oh, i don't absolutely. know absolutely i'm still questioning who tilda is though uh, i do think it is just as simple as this is a comment on mariah's speech that she gave at the opening where she said i got married to dillard dillard left the town and while he was away um I was. I found out I was pregnant, and she was born the day he died. And this is actually turning that all on its head. And Ridenera saying, "Actually, I was the father." That happened well before Dillard left, and you haven't even told her the real story about who her father actually is. And it's me. It happened at a wedlock. I think it could just be as simple as that. But uh, but it just threw a lot of things into shade. And then he dies directly afterwards. So um, so yeah, unfortunately, we still have to wait a little bit of time for uh, for Tilda's real story. I I'm in agreement with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm taking it that Rittenhauer is the father. They they dated at an earlier stage. We'll find out that Tilda's actually two years older mm -hmm. or something than she actually said. That uh, Mariah broke up with Rittenhauer and then joined and married Dillard. And Dillard took the baby under wing and that's where the story became. But that's essentially it. I think 
you're right. I think this then causes, once Shades admit what's happened, this causes the additional fracture. This then potentially as well causes Tilda to... We already saw from the look she gave Shades when Shades walking down the stairs that there's no love lost between Mm -hmm. them. I think this could be an additional turning point that causes Tilda to become the evil that we know she potentially has inside her. I think Tilda will be our new Black Mariah. Tilda will take over from Mariah or join with her. So we have the two queens, the queen and the princess Mm -hmm. of crime. And I, I think that's where it's going. I think Tilda will kill Shades or Mariah will kill Shades or attempt to when Shades has a coup based on this. Right. Um, I think Mariah is going to become too soft based on the end of this episode. I'm really enjoying where it's going. Like I was so sure by the end of this episode that when Tilda was released from her bonds, she was standing quite close to John McIver. And we'll, we'll get into that more, but... I was so sure they were going to hold hands or kiss or something. I really don't yeah. know where you're getting that from, Chris. But we'll see. We'll see. It definitely didn't yeah. happen in this episode, so we'll see in a future. Episode. No, and I don't. I don't. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I just think I was like, oh, they're going to do it. They're going to put. Really? Like, it's going to be the big reveal. We'll definitely talk about that in the later point if uh, if you still want to talk about it there, Chris. Because I I, I don't always see want to talk. But about this it. whole scene then really uh, finishes with Mariah saying that she's been cleaned out of mm-hmm. a of a sweet three hundred and fifty. $56 million. That's a fair uh, bit more than yeah. we thought, wasn't it? <laughs> By Bushmaster uh, when Ridenauer has gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that's a pretty big moment. She's gone. She's cleared. You know, I think at least she's lucky that she had a couple of grand stashed uh, in case of emergencies. So she does have a, a getting out plan, um, but it's never going to be as much money as $356 million, uh, available to her in her current account. Not fun. No, and who doesn't put double security locks in? My God, woman. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, I think that's all for this point. Mm -hmm, I think so. Yes, but before we move on to our next point, I wanted to just bring up what I talked about earlier, which is this episode is brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium and Wolverine A Long Night. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Wolverine A Long Night is the first scripted podcast from Marvel, potentially the beginning of a Marvel audio universe who knows <laughs> but it's definitely a fantastic podcast it stars celia bulger Otto asando as agent pierce and marshall and of course we get the amazing richard armitage as wolverine it's really good for those who've been listening fellow fans who've listened along i finally got to the end of it a fantastic 10 episodes are fully available on stitcher premium for right now and it's binge-worthy enough, I would recommend, but it's good as well just for extended uh, kind of... extended listen-to, if you want to call it that. Giving yourself a taste one episode a week, like you do with our beautiful podcast, or I should say two a week with our beautiful podcast. But guys, that is the thing. You can go over to Stitcher Premium right now and get the 10 episodes Straight away, if you go to stitcher.com forward slash premium and use the promo code DEFENDERS, do you know what? You get one month free of Stitcher Premium. And you know what you can do with that one month? You can listen to those 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. But let me know what you think of Wolverine A Long Night. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts. Yeah. But on to bullet point number four. Shades finally finds his mole. Not his Wolverine, his mole. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, he does. Um, yeah, there's lots and lots of excellent moments in this episode overall. There's quite big moments. We're at, at episode seven. I think we probably have noticed in all of the Defender shows so far, all of the episodes of all of the various shows, that once it gets to about episode seven, you're talking about your big revelations and your big moments. Um, this moment here where Shades finally finds Ridner and Comanche talking to each other, his closest confidant talking to greatest enemy, I guess, head of the police force, right? I guess that would be Shade's biggest enemy. Um, really wasn't expecting Shade's to come out of the shadows uh, at this moment. Shade's reaction at that dinner table mm. just screamed, oh, he knows it's Comanche. It really we, we knew he knew it was Comanche based on the last episode with the conversation of Mariah, who knew, and Shade's asking Comanche when they were um, in the pop barbershop around Cottonmouth. Like the, the pieces connected together, um, and then when we see uh, we see the text message on Comanche's phone from quote unquote mum, I I it kind of all felt I was like oh it's going to happen okay Corral the showdown is about to happen mm, yeah what I didn't expect we get that kind of the back and forth Rittenhauer suddenly offering shades immunity as well and as soon as he said that I was like. Everyone's dead. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be like this kind of like that three way Mexican standoff. It's like they're yeah. all pointing two guns at each other. It was exactly what I thought. But I let you guys talk about that, what your thoughts were on it, because there's a point at the end that, Derek, we need to discuss. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, before we get into that point, what did you guys think about just the, the revelation, the conversation before the shooting began? Yeah, I I thought this was really well done. I think, like you say, Chris, you kind of got the sense that Shades, you know, there was this idea, is he protecting Comanche or is actually he's just feeding Comanche the line so that he can hook him? And also for Shades to confirm in his own mind that it is Comanche as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we get that hook. And it. I thought it was really, really... Uh, well done. I loved the bolt out of the blue from Ridden Hour. You know, was it desperation? Probably. But ultimately, you know, he was putting an offer on the table there. But we see again Shades um, moving in that direction to try and become the king of Harlem, both with refusing Ridden Hour, but also then with the, the killing of, of Comanche by Shades, which... I thought the second shot was a little excessive um, because ultimately it may have just undermined his own um, evidence in terms oh, of getting out of there. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think excessive is the right word. I think just stupid, downright stupid is the right word. Um, I, do, I do like that there is a play from Ridenauer, effectively. The reason why the play is coming, from, coming to shades is because his spy on the inside, his mole that he's let out of prison and has been depending on to get this information has literally just told him two seconds beforehand, I want out because Shades is cutting me off. He's not giving me any information. Mariah hates me. She's not giving me any information. There's no point in me staying in here. So Rittenauer takes that piece of information he's just got and goes, ooh, Shades is here. Maybe I can use him and get him to become my new mole. Uh, yeah, bad plan on his part as well, but he is also get, has that piece of information that his own mole is not willing to work for him anymore. I'm agreeing with you. The, the the second shot completely undermined it. They should have gone with just keeping it at the one or playing into the emotion and then we see Shades empty a clip 
yeah, based on his final words. It, it should have been the extreme kind of he he stays completely logical, like he said, exactly, or fall into that emotion, and that's where I wanted to discuss. Mm. We all had this discussion based on two episodes ago, where we get the revelation that Comanche has accepted who he is. And he, he's admitted it to shades. Um, we discussed then that we wanted mm-hmm. something to come from that. It was too much of a bit of a passing conversation. We wanted more. I was not happy mm-hmm. with this resolution. I talked about how I would prefer to happen that shades kind of admitted that he loved him too, but more than he's what he says now. He, he says that his love for Comanche yeah. blinded him. Uh, to the, the Comanche being a snitch. When he said that, I didn't take it as love, love. It was brotherly love oh, or something okay. along those lines. I feel the revelation we got in the previous episodes didn't play that much. It didn't have the, the, the impact that I wanted. Um, and that's my view. It just, for me, felt like that previous revelation didn't have the impact here that I want to. It just felt like if even Shade say that my love for you as a brother, like if he had have said something along those lines, he didn't have the emotional breakdown that I would have expected if you have to kill your loved one. I, I don't know. So that's just my view. I'd love to hear what you guys think. I actually would have loved to have seen Shades and Comanche go forward, make an attempt at Dillard's position but I don't think ultimately, given that conversation in in the in the barbershop in Pops, don't think that's what Shades really was going to do. I mm. think he um, he really had said the, to to Comanche um, that he didn't want to continue um, with their relationship yeah. that they had on the inside. However, he still loved him, and it's not that he regrets. Uh, that relationship either, but that it is um, a, a, a taken a different route for, for Shades. Be, but nonetheless, he still absolutely loves him because you see that when he shoots him. Mm-hmm. You see the hardening in Shades, and I think it's hats off to Theo Rossi. You see that hardening. You see what he wants to do to where he wants to get. And unfortunately, Comanche is in the way. And I think that declaration of him to Comanche, that his love for him blinded him to what Comanche was doing. And ultimately for Shades, he couldn't put that to bed. He couldn't push that to one side. I I thought it was really well done. Don't get me wrong, that's not to say I wouldn't have minded seeing more of this gay couple going off and doing stuff in Harlem. I think that would have been really, really cool, making a play for the crown. But I don't think that's where Shades was. So I'm happy enough with the resolution, absolutely, because I think you really see the battle that Shades is having to do there in mm-hmm. that moment. And for me, I'm not sure whether it's over, <laughs> weirdly. Um I'm not sure whether this was the final thing we're ever going to hear about this. I'm not sure if this is the end of the entire storyline that that was committed to in Pop's Barbershop. And the shot rings out here, ending the relationship between the two of them. I'm not sure if it's going to come back and hurt Shades in the future when he's thinking back about it, when he's having a revelation about it to Mariah, potentially, or to another character in a future episode. So while 
I would have liked something to happen here. I do hate when characters say I'm gay and then the next episode they're dead. Absolutely hate when that happens. It happens, unfortunately, quite a lot <laughs> on TV shows. Um, so I do hate that that, that that happens, but I'm not sure whether this is the last we're going to hear about it. I think the scene itself played really well. The fact that we knew this about Shades and Comanche's characters and they weren't just you know, bros from childhood that we knew that there had been a relationship with them did make me question whether he was going to turn the gun on him after he'd killed Captain Ridner. He's explaining to him, how are we going to get away with this? You're kind of thinking maybe he would leave him alive because, you know, he got him got out of prison. Maybe they had something else on him and he did turn for a reason. But again, that's on Theo Rossi. I think he did a great job playing this role uh, in, in these scenes. So to add that extra dimension to it, it did help. But I'm I'm not sure whether this satisfies exactly what I was looking for when we were talking about it on the last episode, but I'm I'm willing to to see if there's anything else in the rest of the series or any other mention of it in the rest of the series that it might play out slightly differently. Let's see where it goes. But from one fantastic actor to a, well, yeah, to another fantastic actor, a man whose revenge plot has come Mm -hmm. from the script to the screen. To real life, I should say, actually. Um... Bushmaster gets his revenge, and it is done by episode seven, gents. That's it. We can done. There's no more season. We're we're, we're like Bushmaster's one. We can just kind of <laughs> give up now. Well, I'm not sure if that's exactly true, Chris, because uh, he doesn't win. Uh, she's still alive by the end of the episode, and that is exactly the point where he's laughing in her house, about to watch her burn up. He thinks and goes, "This is even sweeter than I thought it was going to be." <laughs> Uh, what he's waiting for is to reduce her to nothing and then burn her alive in her own home. Um, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, <laughs> all in the name of revenge as mm-hmm. well. I, this was just a fantastic scene between him and Mariah. Even though Mariah is being tied down to the chair, she is still at him. Oh, yeah. She is absolutely like a terrier going for the jugular on Bushmaster. Uh, I loved it. I loved that she never once kind of lowered her um, eyes from him when he was as well in fierce fashion saying how his life, his parents' life were destroyed one after the other by uh, what her family had done. I thought it was really, really magical. And I think just to the point earlier... It's kind of why um, Luke and his father's chat got lost yeah. here because yeah. it was so raw, so visceral. You know, it's got the history. It's got the weight of that all behind it leading to this moment where he has gotten Harlem's paradise. He has just gotten her 354 million bills and he's about to get her and her life mm-hmm. along with the remaining assets that she has the safe of money and the house plus her daughter although he does release her which i found a little strange but he does explain how that is because what are you going to do because obviously when his mom was burnt alive by the stokes he ran mm-hmm. she told him to run he ran what was Tilda going to do? Stay and save her mum or run as well? Yeah. You know, he's almost willing her to become the next Bushmaster with this type of long-term vengeance. Are you going to do what I did? Yeah. Or are you going to try and save, in effect, the old order in terms of your mum yeah. and save her life? It kind of felt like that moment in Kill Bill, uh, Volume 1, isn't it? The first fight when uh, when the bride kills the mother, 
little girl walks into the room and she goes, if you're still smarting in 15 years, I'll be here ready and waiting for you. And I kind of <laughs> felt like that little moment. But I thought it was quite interesting. One, an, another nice moment from Alfred Woodard uh, playing Mariah Stokes when John is telling his story. It almost seems to be for the benefit of Tilda, not for Mariah. Mariah kind of knows the story. I think it gets a little bit more gruesome than we thought it was uh, earlier on in the season. We knew that something had gone on with his uh, his father and Buggy Stokes. We knew something had happened between them. We probably knew that he killed him. But as it gets worse, and as we hear that he's been tracked down to Kingston and their house is being burnt down with John inside and his mother inside, I think that's actually playing towards Tilda Moore. And I think Mariah's starting to realize, uh-oh, she's finding out a lot more about me than I feel is necessary. Um I think that's when she starts to not back down, but I think that's when she gets more angry a bit and gets more concerned about what he's saying because she feels if she does get out of this now, my daughter really knows what our family history and what our family legacy is really like. Uh, this is the moment, Chris, and this is what I said I would come back to. This is the moment where he looks at Tilda and goes, I should have known you were Stokes. So he's again referring to the fact that he's only met her once and that was in the shop when she bought when he bought the gear off her. So I'm still not sure about your idea that this is going to be the two of them in a relationship <laughs> I, I completely agree with you now right. I was just saying when he led her up mm-hmm. and he was leading her I was expecting I was like oh my god they're going to do the big reveal right. where she turns around and hugs or kisses him at that point right. it was all a ploy she's actually bush mistress <laughs> kind of thing now I'm 100% right. no she is not there is no additional ploy yeah. there between the two yeah. But there is that moment when he does release her that she goes towards the door. And I think, I don't know whether it's just the edit, but she's definitely looking at the handle of the door and going, yeah, I could probably leave Mariah behind on her chair to burn when I could actually release her. But uh, there is, it's just that edit just before Luke arrives, I think. And it just looks like she's closer to the door than she is to her mother. Um, And I don't know whether they just left that hanging in the air for us just in case. Uh, But she is saved by the unlikely Luke Cage. It is his show, I suppose. He is the hero, so he's probably going to save people. But uh, but Luke does arrive to save her and gets his third client now, I guess. Um, another another hero for hire moment. Yeah. Hopefully this one will survive. <laughs> Hopefully to actually pay the bill. It was the perfect ending. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't a binge moment one where I'm like, oh my God, what happened? I was like, just, that's save the perfect her. way yeah. to end it. It was just... It was well done. A nice moment to savor, exactly. Yeah, it is It is that moment where you're wondering whether next episode is going to go, uh, what? You're Mariah Stokes. You're the one I've been trying to take down. What do you mean, hire me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked the the story Bushmaster tells. Yeah. Mm, yep. the, the background. Yeah. We questioned it for a while. Um, I thought we weren't going to get it, especially when the Nancy and John are in the shop getting fitted for the suit. Mm-hmm. And the way it seemed... And we'll talk about the vengeance and all that. I was like, okay, that's as far as we're going to get. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm piecing it together. I kind of have an understanding. It's around his mom. Fine. I, okay. I want more, but I don't think you're going to give it. So when we got this exposition scene, but didn't feel like Basel exposition in the middle of a scene. It felt natural. Him lording over um, I've done it. Like my plan, it it literally it didn't feel like the 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 Bond villain giving away his master plan mm-hmm. because he thinks the the superhero is gonna die. Like in Incredibles, 
Oh, look at you. You got me monologuing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. As I say, and I think that's part of the reason why it plays so well is because it starts to move from him accusing Mariah Stokes of everything that happened to him telling the story about everything that happened to Tilda. And I think that's the kind of, there's kind of a switch in the middle of the yeah. conversation that makes it work really well for me. And I think as well that moment where he walks into Harlem's paradise as well. And you've got oh, reggae yes. playing yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Just really, really good. Um, like it's a proper nice topping off to a fantastic moment for Bushmaster, but a great for the episode as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does feel like that capper where he's going, Harlem's now mine. This is, this is where we are. Seven episodes in, it's Harlem's his. And now we know what the other. Six episodes of the show about it. it's he's the bad guy. So who who's going to take it back from? Is Mariah going to get back up there and take Harlan's paradise back? Is Shade's going to take it on his own? Is Luke going to take him out and and get uh, Harlan back to being good again? So this is where the peak of our act is hit. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, and we didn't get the second act villain, which is nice. Mm-hmm. We we're not getting a sudden Diamondback two point they, they're sticking with the same villain. They're playing that this is the second act of what happens. Yeah. I do want to see Shades there. I think that'd be great. We end Shades in the place of John McC- of Bushmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that scene where he raises the glass. Um, yes. At the, on top of the balcony. It was that kind of the man has reached the top of the hill exactly. moment. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So now we've reached the top of the hill. Let us take some notes, shall we? Mm-hmm. Has anyone got any notes? Yep. Got a couple. <laughs> far away uh, just one really quick one that I forgot to actually write down but uh, you mentioned the moment when they got the suits in uh, in Harlem Chris uh, Dapper Dan yeah. is the suit maker in there he was featured in season one as well when they all got their suits he's a very well known figure in Harlem for his fashion sense and his style so uh, Dapper Dan once again appearing in Luke Cage season two I know everybody's really happy when they get to meet him on set um, another fashion mention let's say D-dubs once again uh copying some logos to uh, to create his Luke Cage t-shirts. The one he's wearing when he walks into the church is a play on Ice Cube's logo from his album, The Predator. Uh, very, it looks exactly the same, actually. I've got a picture of it up in front of us here, Chris and, and John. Uh, looks exactly the same, doesn't it? That's oh, yeah. the second one that D-Dubs has copied off uh, another rap act to, uh, to make his Luke Cage um, t-shirts. I kind of like that one, actually. It was nice. I, I'm hoping they release with some Merchoid or some official capacity some of these uh, t-shirts mm-hmm. I, I would actually wear them they they look nice i, I would Absolutely. Yeah, I, definitely get away well them. carhartt have done the hoodie so uh, for this season so you never know there could be some t-shirts coming up soon final one for me is um obviously of the music because i have a music one most episodes but i recognized the tone of this guy's voice instantly when i heard him playing it is a member of the most famous reggae family on earth. It's a Stephen Marley who's playing on stage. One of the uh, younger members, I think, of of the Marley family, uh, Bob Marley's son, uh, with Rita Marley. Uh, I think he was born in '72, so he's a bit older than us, but uh, but still one of the younger members of the Marley family. But you can definitely recognise that tone that he has, and again, perfect to have at least a member of the most famous reggae family on stage as Bushmaster walks in. It's just that nice capper to his half of the season. Yeah. Great. Uh, two bits from me. Mm-hmm. We get a mention of This Is Us from Comanche. Mm-hmm. I bet he's one of those emo that uh, cry at This Is Us. Yes. Nice, a nice nod because obviously uh, Cephas Jones, who plays Bobby Fish, mm-hmm. plays a regular in This Is Us. So I'm Very wondering good. if this is a, a nice little nod towards him. 
I love that. And I did see uh, Theo Rossi on Twitter the other day commenting that I don't really care what Shades does. I ball my eyes out at This Is Us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Derek, I'm about to wow you. Mm-hmm. On and On is a song from the album Mecca and the Soul Brother of well-known hip-hop Joe, Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Really? Yes. Like every other episode of the series? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Well, Chris, if you want to hear the rest of the songs by Pete Rock and CL Smooth that are used for every episode of this season, uh, you can go over to my Spotify account. Uh, go for Deller O'Neill on Spotify. I have the playlist up of all of the song titles and all the songs for season two and season one. So you can listen to them all there. I would love to. It's a good tune, buddy. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I think that's it for notes. Yeah, perfect. With that, onto the defense. Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, episode seven, on and on? Do you know, I probably had more nitpicks about this episode than I have about any other episode so far this season. But I think that's because so many big things happened in the episode and I wanted it just to be perfect. And there's moments that just could have been slightly changed that would have made this episode the perfect Luke Cage episode because we really have huge revelations. We have huge moments for pretty much every character in here. But the overshadowing, for example, of the final revelation of why Bushmaster is here versus Mariah being intercut with the discussion between Luke and his father could have worked so much better if they just kept the two of them separate. There's no reason for the two of them to be intertwined and it kind of ruined a little bit of the moment. I kept wanting to go, just just bring me back to Bushmaster. We'll hear that conversation at a later time. It's, it's fine, you know. Um, but it was big enough that I wanted to see it. There's some great moments there having Misty fighting again is always good. Uh, the death of Captain Rittenauer, I wasn't expecting it to, to see him go out, especially this early in the show. Um, that's quite a big moment at the police chief gone. Um, and Bushmaster taking his place in Harlem's Paradise. Uh, that's quite huge. So, Overall, defend the episode, but it's not the perfect episode. I just wish it was for for this particular time in the season. Chris, do you defend this episode? I'm right with you there, buddy. Um, I defend this episode, but my God, it's borderline. Some huge plot points. It just didn't feel tight enough or... I, I don't know what it was about. It's, it's like, I ha- I, like you, I have too many nitpicks, just too many... That didn't ring true for me. That didn't feel right. I'm not saying this is a bad episode. Mm-hmm. Because we the ending alone is fantastic. That the acting is always fantastic. It just... Some of it didn't... Some of it just didn't land for me. It's because I want to wait to see how certain things play out. Before I decide on how I feel about the plot points. Um, it just didn't totally work for me so if i was to steal john's uh scoring mechanic if you will i would literally say three drowning lukes out of five and on that john do you defend this episode of luke cage i do defend this episode of luke cage i give it three and a half piranha fish sticks out of five (laughs) Um, I think like you guys, a lot of nitpicks for me in this. Um, and yet there was a lot that I really enjoyed that really had an impact. You know, Bushmaster with Mariah, Bushmaster walking into Harlem's paradise. And yet Bushmaster fails to kill off Luke Cage because he just walks off. Hmm. Luke Cage somehow coming out of his watery grave, um, 
due to flashbacks again it was just certain things that didn't fully ring true and shades absolutely fantastic moment there with comanche for me and unexpected uh death of ridenauer yet he does the second bullet and i think like you said chris either i would have preferred him to be totally um hannibal the cannibal and forensic about it like he was trying to be or just go all emotionally crazed lover or ex-lover killing this guy maybe it's Seldal's bullet <laughs> maybe he did maybe it is um i yeah i just thought there were a few nitpicks here uh, in, in this for me that didn't fully ring true plus we lost piranha and I, again that for me was you know i like the realism of these shows and yet it felt like bushmaster he spent all this time planning and planning making sure he gets it right and yet again uh, piranha dies here and I, I think that would have just torn down what he was trying to achieve. So, yeah, a lot of nitpicks in here for me, but also some great storyline resolutions mm-hmm. and, and moments here in this. And so I do defend it. Uh, but I think like you, Derek, and you, Chris, you know, if maybe a few things had been done a little differently, this would have been the perfect episode for me. Yeah. I think I'm a little higher score-wise. If I was to score the episode, I think I'm a little higher than you two guys. Um, I, I do think I'm probably just nitpicking. Um, there's probably been worse moments in other episodes before that I haven't even called out, but it just felt like things were on the right trajectory in this episode to make this a great mid-season finale if it was like that on TV, you know, and you're on a break for a couple of months. I think everything's set up really well here, but they just, just didn't nail it, I think, is, is where we are. Uh, let's get on to a little bit of feedback, guys, I think. Yeah, sounds good. So you can send in voicemail through our website to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the right-hand tab and leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail. Or like Ronaldo, you can send us email in at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Ronaldo says, Hi guys, just wanted to drop a few thoughts on Episode 7 of Luke Cage Season 2. I must say I'm enjoying this season a lot more consistently than the Maiden season and I'm loving the themes of family and loyalty. Seems the recent season twos of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage now seem to explore family affairs and we could well see that for Daredevil season three with Matt's mum. I'm loving the exploration of not only Cage's parents but also that of Bushmaster and his tragic reveal of his family tie with the Stokes It was also cool to discover the origin of his name too. The empathy for a villain is always a winner, and no less so here. Mariah and Bushmaster are very solid villains, and although I don't think they eclipse Kilgrave, they still lean towards the side of the better Marvel villains on screen. Ronaldo goes on and says, Being a comic fan, it's always a bonus to see and hear about secondary comic characters, but geez, they are falling left and right on the show. Cottonmouth, Cockroach Hamilton, and now Comanche and Piranha Jones bite the dust. All of them being, quote, regular rogues in Cage's gallery. Gives their deaths more emphasis. I guess I kind of like Piranha, but if you live by the sword, I guess you die by it too. Mm-hmm. Or did he live by the pen? 
Or did he and die by, by the, the sword? <laughs> die by the piranha, I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, finally, Ronaldo says, Comanchean Shades, friendship, and ultimate fate was both brilliant and sad too. I know they are both hardened criminals, but the loyalty they had for one another was well shown, and the sadness and betrayal performed by Thea Rossi was bar none. Brilliant stuff. Mm-hmm. Keep up the great work as always, Defenders. It's always a pleasure to listen alongside the watching of every new Netflix series. I'm so happy this season has been a marked improvement to at least the second half of season one. Looking forward to all the reviews to come. Cheers, Ray. Thank you so much, Ray, for that. Yeah, Comanche and Shades, such a great little story arc thrown into this kind of first part of, of Luke Cage for me. Uh, definitely. And I, I think he's pulled it quite rightly. Thea Rossi, uh, really superb. Just getting that right mix of sadness and betrayal and, dare I say, ambition as well, I think, uh, in, in his eyes there, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I know what you mean about the comic book characters just appearing and disappearing. We had a bit of that in Jessica Jones as well, where some uh, some more Z-list characters appeared in the show and then got killed off in first and second episode. This time, these guys are genuine, regular rogues from Luke Cage that are disappearing and being gotten rid of pretty quickly. It seems to be almost one headless body per episode this season, uh, sadly. Chris, do you want to take the second piece of feedback? Sure. Uh, over on Facebook, Jamie Young had this to say. I didn't expect the Shades and Comanche situation to resolve so quickly. If we can call that a resolution, I guess Shade really is loyal to Mariah. Such an emotional scene. Nice to learn a little more about the McIver and Stokes family feud. I really thought Mariah was done for. She's still one of my favourite things about this series. Thank God Luke saved her. After all, LOL. (laughs) Absolutely. I bet Luke wasn't expecting to save her. I don't think Uh, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you about the Shades and Comanche scene being resolved this this soon. I'm really hoping there's just another little moment, potentially maybe some flashbacks to some earlier scenes with the two of them when they were kids, something like that, so you can actually see how much of an impact Comanche's death is having on Shades. The fact that he no longer has a right-hand man to depend on anymore, now that Comanche's gone, potentially puts him in a more precarious situation. I don't know whether it's the loyalty to Mariah that did it. I think it is just potentially the fact that, well, Comanche turned on him and was a snitch to the police so he can't really abide by that uh, potentially it's just that but um i think we might see a little bit more i hope so yeah thank you for the feedback jamie because uh, yeah i definitely agree as well it would be nice to see comanche play out in that sense off screen mm, here yeah with shades um where he feels remorse guilt or as you say it just leaves him isolated yeah uh, and has no one else who has his back mm-hmm Thanks so much for the feedback. Really good to hear your thoughts. If you want to send us in any feedback, of course, you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast as we put up the spoiler posts over on our Facebook group so you can discuss any spoiler-filled thoughts about any of the episodes as you keep going through the series. Yes, we'll be back with our review of Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 8, If It Ain't Rough, It Ain't Right on friday guys it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us for this episode and we'll speak to you soon thanks so much fellow defenders we'll talk to you next time yeah as always thank you so much for listening it has been a pleasure i'm off to go and feed my piranhas with another one of those frozen heads we've got in the chest freezer Um, but once i've done that we'll be back to speak with you again soon bye you think i'm holding back
I'm out.